Welcome to Return on Character Podcast, the podcast that tells character-shaping stories with famous and should-be-famous leaders. I'm Dan Cooper, founder of Rock Investments, and co-hosting with me today is Jess Larson, founder of Greystoke Investments. I'm thrilled to have Christine Leali Connors with us on the show today. She's the president and partner at Epic Capital Partners in San Francisco. One of the reasons I'm most excited, um, I got also with me Jess Larson, our my co-host, who's gonna who's gonna jump in on various different questions. But one of the things that um, I I am thematically Christine kind of oriented towards as it relates to you know how do I decide who to come on um, our show is it kind of came to me that I. I I'm really focused on trying to find people that personally make me better. And you, you, we haven't known each other a long time, but uh, in all genuineness, you know, the way I've observed you uh, uh, and the way you've interacted with me, um, you've made me better as a person because you just jump in and you all excited about good things in the world. You trust people. And, um, it's really kind of caused me to do the same for others. So I want to thank you for that, first of all. Um, there, there's a lot of reasons to have people on shows. Most of the time, it's because they're wildly successful or they're famous. Um, I tend to lead more with the kind of people they are. And so that's why I'm most excited having you on. You happen to be wildly successful and, and I think moderately famous in your circles. Uh, but I was hoping to lead off the conversation with if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear your, your story, like going back to where you grew up and then, and then if you wouldn't mind kind of lead in to kind of the, the, the work gate moments of your life that kind of opened the things up to where you are today. And I'm going to interrupt if you're, if you're modest, because I know the areas where you should be kind of, you know, tout your own horn because you're, you're a rock star. Uh, but I wanted to, to start with. Christine, would you mind sharing with us your story and where it all began? Sure. And um, first, I just want to say thank you, Dan, for having me on and Jess for having me on as well and um, for all the incredible things that you just said about me. But um, I am I'm honored to be a part of this and I am actually really honored to have met you and been introduced to you. Um, so. I'm excited to do this. I'm excited to see uh, all of the success that that your company brings as well. So um, so onwards. Okay, so I grew up in um, Connecticut. And you can't, I don't know if you can't see me on these podcasts, but I am Chinese. Um, and I grew up in Connecticut where there were Westport, Connecticut, maybe a handful of other Chinese um, children growing up in Chinese families. Uh, my dad was a marketing executive uh, in he would commute into New York every day. So, uh, I I grew up playing tennis, field hockey, sports was kind of my thing. And I went to Bucknell University where I played college tennis for the first couple of years. And then I was studying abroad uh, junior year. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And quite frankly, if this was uh, at Bucknell University, I was studying in London. I was studying in London. My dad was um, that my parents were the very tiger parents that if I was going to study anywhere abroad, I was not going to go play on a boat and study at sea. I was going to study business in London and they would then support me to do that. So, um, so I did, 
but then I suddenly realized that I was a junior and I was studying in London. And I really wanted to have a ton of fun, but I had no internship uh, before my senior year and everyone around me did. Um, and I was, you know, I was hard charging and I was definitely dedicated, but I was, you know, I didn't have that mentorship um, in kind of someone guiding me through. And fast forward to I look at my children today and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that would ever fly. Um, and so I called my dad, who was a marketing executive at Revlon at the time and asked him to help me a little bit um, to find a job. And so he, you know, kind of put me down that path and set me that way. And I think about how different my life would have been if I actually had kind of traveled down that path. But instead, I got a call from JP Morgan um, while I was in London and they asked me to interview, come in and interview. And it turns out that my economics professor had recommended me for an internship at JP Morgan. And um, so, you know, I didn't know much about JP Morgan, except for the fact that every time I would drive by the huge building, I would be enamored by it. It was such a, a brand name um, and in finance. But again, I didn't know that much about it because we didn't have that many family friends in finance. Um, so I interviewed. I went through a pretty rigorous process. I vividly remember, you know, standing at a, one of those red phone booths because this is how old I am. Um, on my interview um, for, with J.P. Morgan, I got the job and... Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you had an interview with J.P. Morgan in a red London phone booth. Is uh -huh. that how it happened? Uh -huh. Yeah, because wow, I had roommates. Cool. I had to go okay. hide in a Continuous. phone booth. <laughs> so that was my, my first screen. Yes, right. that was my screen. Um, and then, and so I started as an intern. Um, and it was actually in 1998, so I'm telling you my age, during the Asian currency crisis. Um, and my first, very first job was a, an Excel spreadsheet with more cells and rows than I can even remember. And my manager at the time, Manuel, said, just dive in the middle of it. It'll, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. It'll come to you. I'm like, oh, goodness. But it came to me. I learned how to use pivot tables. I learned how to sort Excel spreadsheets. I learned how to work with numbers really quickly. Uh, and I figured it out. And then the rest is history. I joined uh, full-time in what was at the time, and they still have an iteration of it um, at JP Morgan, a rotational program. So every six to eight months, I'd rotate to a different part of the firm. So I did a stint in um, HR where I worked with the top 16 executives and their compensation. I did a stint in marketing, um, rolling out the private bank's capabilities. Um, and I did a number of other stints, and, and then I did one in the private bank. And for me, that was pivotal. Um, and I remembered vividly just the connection point that the advisors had with clients um, and the yeah. give ability. Me, give, me, give me an example, yeah. Christine. Yeah. Of a life. Um, was it, is there a specific story or uh, experience that you had that, that kind of set it apart from the other experiences you were having at the bank? Yeah, I, I, I was actually supporting um, this one senior banker named Susan. Um, and she had a client that had a major liquidity event, um, and, or was having one. And like, I was just so floored by the fact that like Susan was the one person in the team at JP Morgan that she, they were confiding in with everything, the terms of the deal before the deal was going to happen, what he wanted to do with his wealth, how he wanted to transfer it, what he was thinking about with it. Like major life decisions um, that now I deal with on a daily basis. But at the time I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, and, th and then also the satisfaction of being able to be a part of that and being able to help them 
focus on and this person at the time and i remember after the transaction closed he was like i am so grateful for the fact that you helped me get everything set up so that i could continue focusing on my business and my team and my family and um, my key priorities in doing that while not losing sight of what ultimately also is important but not a priority um, and just how like integrated and integral uh, the the team became with the client um, was was pretty incredible. And so for me, that was like a, a bit of a change. And, and, and if you if you know me well, which I know you do, I am a people person at heart. Um, so, you know, I can dive into numbers and I can dive into spreadsheets. But if there isn't it isn't attached to some human interaction, um, I, I am lost. So so it com really combined everything. Um, I remember also doing a stint within the asset management business too, and I love that a lot, but for the fact that I think kind of, you know, CEOs, CFOs, there's a different kind of emotional tie to the wealth and the money they're managing for a company um, versus when it's truly your own. So that set me on a path that led me from 2001 until um, April of last year when I, when I moved from JP Morgan, but of an incredible career at JP Morgan where I worked my but way Christine, up. Yeah. What did you do at JP Morgan? I mean, you went from an internship to all of a sudden now you're about to leave. I mean, you you were in San Francisco. <laughs> uh what, how and, big yeah, an office I, did you run, manage? How much how much assets did you have under uh, uh that you were overseeing at the time? I mean, uh and then but most of all it's like where did you get the hustle? How did you build such a big business in San Francisco. Yeah. Like, that's, okay. I know it's hard. I'll give you I more. know it's really hard to do. And how did you do it? All right. I'll give you a little more. Um, so I then moved, I moved to San Francisco in 2001 um, and was asked to help run a team and build a business that uh, advised the investment bank clients on transactions. So there I actually learned a ton about pre-transaction planning, tax optimization, tax trust and estate planning in advance of an M&A, a sale or an IPO. Um, loved doing that, but wasn't as close to the client because I couldn't keep the client because I was over the wall. Um, so then I moved into covering clients full time and I did that and I still continue to do that. And that is like why I get out of bed every day is that connection with clients. Um, so I did that and then in uh, did that in San Francisco the whole time. And in 2012, when I, right after I'd had my second daughter, so I had, you know, a four or five month old and a, and a um, two year old, Mary Erdos, who runs asset management for JP Morgan uh, under Jamie Dimon called. And she said, I, we, we want you to run the private bank out here. Um, and I think at the time we had about 10 billion, a little over 10, maybe 12 billion in assets and um, a small team of 35, 40 people. And um, so I was asked to come run that. I partnered with um, a number of people on the team. I was hesitant because I loved the client side and I wasn't sure what management would bring and um, what that would do. But sometimes you don't chart your own path and sometimes you're given and you make the most of that opportunity. And I did. And it was actually looking back in hindsight, they were right. I still was able to work with clients and lead and grow a team. My favorite things about that is not the management piece, but the leadership piece, the mentorship piece, the strategy of building and growing a business. Um, so, you know, really ran, grew and built that uh, to, I will just fast forward and then I'll go back to kind of the, 
the hard work and, and um, drive piece. But, you know, I, I spent my entire career there. I built it up. I was really proud of, of um, what I built and the partnerships with the other lines of businesses. And um, we grew it to about 100 people. We had offices in Palo Alto. We had just opened one in East Bay, um, about $25 billion in assets, oversaw about 40 billion of clients' assets, um, but managed actively 25 billion. Um, and I used to call us our well-funded startup because we were. We were able to really, you know, we weren't sitting in New York where the, the headquarters were, the mothership. We could kind of do a little bit of what we wanted to do. You know, Silicon Valley was this like new cool thing and, you know, they wanted us to grow it, but we had the resources, uh, well-funded for sure, but we could kind of you know, chart our own path, navigate it a bit. I remember when I built the client center, it was like, there's no mahogany and there's no, you know, pinstripes. My homage were, you know, I did pinstripe cushion chairs as the homage to uh, to New York. But, um, but you know, like a little bit different. Um, and we grew it in a big way. And I'm incredibly proud of the team. The people were um, amazing. The culture was great. And it was a really fun place to be. You know, I think in terms of drive, and I, I actually just did a talk with my team earlier today. Uh, they wanted to learn more about me. And, and we were talking about just, you know, fun fact is I don't drink caffeine. I wake up every morning at 5.15. I work out uh, for about an hour, hour, a little over an hour or so. And then, you know, I have two girls who are, um, they are fourth grade and sixth grade. And then I, you know, turn on my mom hat for a little bit. And then I turn on my work hat and, and I love it. And I think my drive just, and I've always said, that I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I am the hardest working and I will outwork anyone. Um, but my ability to outwork anybody is because I found a passion. Um, and I am truly passionate about what I do. I am truly passionate about um, helping others, about um, you know guiding, giving, providing advice. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you can break us down to a service-based in, in, you know, industry, if you will, in terms of where I work. but. Ultimately, you don't think of it that way, or I don't, right? It's so much of just wanting to um, do the best I can and, and partner with our clients, but also my team members. And so regardless of where it is, Epic, which we can talk about a little bit, but JP Morgan, anywhere, um, my you know hard work and kind of hustle just really comes out of like having fun doing it, enjoying it, being passionate about it. Um, and, you know, just having that like sheer drive and determination to want to be better and want to make everything I touch better. <laughs> One of my dearest and closest friends, Tom Rakes, uh, is the founder of a company called Sunbum. Uh, Sunbum was a suntan lotion company amongst other products that they developed. And Tom sold that company to Essie Johnson for a big chunk of money, did really well. And... I was visiting him one day and he was saying, yeah, all these wealth management people are showing up. They're coming in. They're telling me why, you know, they sh I, I should work with them. And he goes, there's this one woman named Christine that showed up and she was the most honest, genuine, like a person I wanted to be a friend with. Uh, and there was just no, there was like no question. Like I'm going with Christine. Like there was, there was. And and then he starts telling me about Christine, you know, and his 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 wealth advisor, you know, and I've never experienced that at all, right? You know, and and uh and then we start working together on, you know, rock investments, and he's like thinking, we gotta get Christine to pull. She's gotta hear about this. And and uh and she jumps in and I I fall in love with Christine as well. But to me, like it 
I've never seen a parade, you know, the financial industry is seen as so hard, so impersonal, so uh, not empathetic, uh, you know, totally about making money only. And I feel like Christine kind of uh, embodies, especially the testimony of Tom Riggs, uh, of Sunbum, kind of the blending of the human side of finance, you know, and that's, and, and, and to me, that's like your secret sauce. I, I don't know how you do that, uh, but it's a pretty miraculous gift that you have. And I can see why you love it because I can see why Tom loves you and, and the, uh, the impact that you just have had on him and, uh, and you're, you know, he's a client of yours. So I, I, I just want to kind of lob that in there as an example for other advisors that are listening to this, you know, um, you know, Christine, uh, to me, is an incredible example of the human side of finance that we probably all know or would love to see more of. Um, and uh, anyway, that that's the story. Jess, do you have any, <laughs> any questions? Yeah, I got tons of questions. Uh, so, Christine, can we talk about ethic for a minute? I, I was reading your brochure, the one that's registered with the SEC. Will you correct me on these numbers? I think it said, like, at the end of last year, you guys had maybe, like, 4.7 billion in AUM and that you kind of specialize in kind of like those founders or early employees, kind of like the, the 50 million plus investable assets kind of range. Is that, is that close? That is correct. That is correct. Okay. Yes. So um, I, I guess I'm just fascinated by the space of, um, you know, wealth management could be seen as a commodity and there's uh, you know, about a thousand other people calling those same folks claiming I'm different, I'm different. Um, when you think about uh, this, this empathy, this human side, you talk about being a people person in your own, in your own mind, what does that look like when you're going into this meeting, when you probably might've followed eight other firms who claim, no, we're different. What are you telling yourself or what's your mindset going into a meeting like that? Yeah, and it's a great question. And I have been doing this for twenty over 22 years now. And I have always said, we all sound the same. We all look the same on paper. Um, and really, what does differentiate? And, uh, you know, when when we're competing against other firms and clients or pros prospective clients will say, well, what, what do I ask? And how do I differentiate? Um, because ultimately, we all say the same thing. I think at the end of the day is, can we deliver? But you don't know that until you kind of get into bed, if you will, quote unquote, because I like to say that this whole process is like dating um, before you get married. And you want to pick the person with the character and the the same values um, as you, because ultimately, at the end of the day, we're I want to be your advisor, but I also want to be your partner. Um, and in order to share the deepest, darkest kind of secrets and goals that you have as a family and as an individual, like you have to feel comfortable with the person that you're sitting across from. So, you know, I set out early on to kind of create uh, and and build a brand, but the brand for me is always built on the core and the fundamental of who you are. Um, and I believe that if you wake up every single day and you look yourself in the mirror and you're really proud of who you are and what you've done and what you're doing, that it all comes back in spades, no matter what. Um, and you have to stay true and core to your values. I, I was telling the team earlier today that, that constantly my family, my husband and I, my two girls, are, we sit and we underwrite our family values all the time. Remind me, girls, what are the Connors' 
core family values. Right. And and that's no different than I, I, you know, I think how I live my life and how I approach everything I do with clients. But it's, you know, it's be empathetic and be transparent, be trustworthy, um, lead with integrity, do what's right always um, and make sure that your clients have to be able to trust you. Right. They have to trust that you're giving them the advice based on what is right for you, not what is right for the firm. Um, or for them, I should say, not what is right for me or the firm. Um, and if you, if you lead with that, it does come out. And, and, and I have had prospective clients and clients tell me that just early on in kind of the interview process is just like the, the ability to be empathetic. What is a, what is a prospective client looking for? Right. The first and foremost, I think is the connection point. Um, and can I, can I trust? Can I trust you? Can I trust the firm? Are you doing what's right for me? Um, and do you have m me and my family's values and goals and best interests in mind as well? It's hard sometimes to parse that out, but you know, it is also something that I have seen in the industry. Like, you know, you could try to compare fees until you're blue in the face and there's apples and there's oranges and then there's, you know, bananas that are, that are hidden. And, and it's just, it's, it's almost impossible. And, that was a big part of why I came to Epic too. I loved my time at JP Morgan, but I wanted to be even more independent um, and be, you know, even more of a true, true fiduciary where like we have one fee structure. Actually, it makes it really easy to run a firm, by the way, when you only have one revenue model, <laughs> there is just one. And, and, you know, you can be really clear with client. And I also do believe that um, I get, I do get a little nervous when clients like right away are like, great, I want to work with you, right? Because it is a process and a partnership. And so I also want to make sure that um, it goes both ways, right? So I always do say it's like dating before we get married. So let's start with advice. Let's start with us showing you what we can do based on giving advice, based on kind of creating a summary and a roadmap for what your family's goals are. Um, and spending a little bit of time really getting to know that piece of it rather than just saying, like, here's how I'd invest. Here's the asset allocation. Here are the returns that we can drive um, because we, we can actually add incredible alpha. But I also think um, a lot of that comes from access. But the access, I also think, is then driven by are you a firm that people want to work with as well? Um, so so it all does come full circle. Um, I also think internally on how the culture you build and the team that you build Um we live by that as well, both at JP Morgan, but now here at Epic, like we want to work with the right clients. Um, we don't have to bring in every client. Um, and that is also really important, really important for the culture and the team that we're building, but also really important for our team to see that, um, you know, the clients are selecting us first and foremost, but we also have the ability to pick the, the right clients too. My follow-up question is like, I, you know, I so I started on an M and A team for City in like 2004, and okay. since then I've run different investment funds. And being, you know, kind of an ambitious guy, like there can be these times where like I'm in the middle of getting a new investor for our fund, and all of a sudden like the the like the payday flashes in front of my eyes, and like the temptation to objectify them and to be like just try to get the maximum sale is there, and so like I want to know what's an example. What does this sound like in your meetings of you? building trust like for me like I have a little trick where I out myself and I say things like hey listen of course I want you to put huge amounts of money in here because that pays me really well but that doesn't matter because we're not here to talk about me if, like a thought to think about for yourself is what are you comfortable with do you want to just put your toe in the water and tie us with the smallest possible amount 
and then see if we deliver or not? Or like, what would make you comfortable? And I feel like if I make a joke and I out myself, it helps me rein myself in. Um, do you have any, do you have any things that have helped you over the years to be your best self? Yeah. Uh, well, I do. I, I think first is just, um, I, one of my key strengths is just the, the empathy piece, right? The constantly putting myself in the shoes of, and, and fill in the blank, my employees, my clients, my prospects, who, whatever it may be. And if I don't feel comfortable in doing that, then my client or my prospect's not going to feel comfortable doing that. Um, and so if like you get that knot as you're talking about it, um, you know that it's not the right thing. I also am a really big believer in karma. Um, and it always does come back at some point. Um, and, you know, making sure that like, yeah, uh, short term, short term, I, I could put you in that and we can make a ton of money. But at some point, if you know it's not the right thing, you're going to get burned um, and it will come back. And I am a big believer in that. Sometimes it takes a really long time, but it does. And then my other test that I, I'm constantly telling the team is the Wall Street Journal test or the New York Times or page six or whatever you want to say. But like if that ended up on the front page, how would how would you be proud of it? Like, would you be proud? Um, and if the answer is no, then you shouldn't be doing it. Um, so and we use that for like everything. If we're going to send something out to a client, like if that gets forwarded and ends up on the front page, like, do we feel good with that? Um, materials that are going out. Are we proud of that? Um, so I, th I think that that is like a core fundamental value that I, I do really believe is important to, to lead by and lead by example with as well, because yes, I mean, this industry is, is there, there's a lot of us, there's a lot. Um, and then there's brokers and then there's RIAs and then there's, you know, wealth managers and like, it's just really confusing and hard. Um, so I, I do think fundamentally it's really important to make sure that you're with someone that you trust and then you're with a firm that has built a foundation, is built on a foundation of kind of culture and values um, that you believe in and are aligned with as well. Uh, I love Could, that. Well, I have a whole bunch more questions, but I want to let Dan have a turn. Dan, what do you I'll think? I'll take about? a couple. Um, why don't you, that's a great segue into Epic. Tell us about why, why Epic and, and uh, why you made that transition and a little bit about the, the firm that you're with today. Um, so as a um, non-risk taker, a lot of my friends were very shocked that I decided to make a move after 22 years at the same firm. Um, so, so that alone should tell you about kind of just the incredible nature of Epic and how fortunate I was to be um, approached and asked to join the firm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think when you are presented with an opportunity and when I was presented um, by Chad, who is our founder and CEO, um, to partner with him. Um, I think first the key is the partnership. So he approached me with the opportunity to partner, not to work for him, not to, you know, come join the firm. And I think that choice of the choice of words are really important. And it's not because of the ego. It's because of if you want to come over and build something, um, I wanted to be, I wanted it to be a partnership. So that was kind of the first part. Um, and I, and I wanted to be able to not only kind of bet on myself, but also like have an impact on what I'm doing. Um, the second piece was when you, when you join a firm where it's, where the founder is still the CEO, you have to make sure that you really, really get along with and understand with and, you know, have that connection and the same vision and values with the person that you're about to partner with. Um, and that was really key. 
Um, I'd been approached by a lot of different firms and different opportunities along the way. And either I didn't believe in what they were building or I didn't, you know, believe in the partner or how they were building it and, and the leadership. Um, when Chad and I spent a bunch of time together and I'd known him, um, we had clients in common, uh, and then we had friends in common. So I had known him for a number of years and respected him. I also knew, um, the other partners, um, and one of the other partners actually used to work at JP Morgan with me. So kind of came full circle. And so I knew the character, um, but Chad and I spent a lot of time kind of digging into what we wanted, where our values aligned, was our vision aligned for where we wanted to take the firm. Um, and the answer was yes. Um, and yes, in like a really exciting way, right? Like we, we, and you know, quick history, Chad spun out of another very successful large firm that he had helped build previously. Um, and a big part of that was he wanted to go back to like driving it towards the core of what he wanted it to be and his vision and values for, um, for his firm. And those were, we want, we don't want to be the biggest. We don't have to be the biggest. We want to be the best at what we do. We don't want to sacrifice, um, advice or execution. Delivering the best of that was paramount. Um, and how we do that for our clients was key, but we didn't want to sacrifice our values or our integrity or anything else along the way in providing that for our clients. Um, and we wanted to be able to work with the right clients, the clients who value and see what we do for them in the same way that we value them as clients, right? I always say like, you want me as your advisor to get up out of bed every day thinking about you. In the same way, when you're a client, that I want you to get out of bed thinking about me every day, right? And so, you know, I think it's like, otherwise you're not, you're not a relevant kind of player in their life and vice versa. Um, the culture that Chad built was also um, incredible. The people here are hardworking. They appreciate one another for who they are. They appreciate um, who our clients are. We've built a huge, um, incredible network of, you know, support, collaboration, relationships. And I was floored by it when I, when I met them all. So you know, really um, the vision of like where we want to take this firm, you want to be able to challenge one another. You want to be able to kind of push each other because if we agree on everything, then you kind of get nowhere. But but at the same time, we work through those because we know ultimately what our guiding star is. Um, you know, we set out when I first joined, we sat and we wrote out our core values, um, which are, you know, integrity, service, commitment to excellence and a growth mindset. And within each of those, we actually mapped them to how it relates to our clients and what we do for our clients and how it relates to our team um, and what we do for our team and what our team does for each other. Um, and we hold everyone accountable to that. Um, we built, you know, I think so, so much in our financial industry is built on like numbers and metrics. Well, we built our core values into our metrics. Um, so that is, those are guiding principles that you're actually evaluated on at the end of um, every year as well. So all of those combined with the ability to like work with super cool clients, go back to the core, maybe build something again, like I did at JP Morgan, mentor, guide, um, and then also like day in, day out working with clients um, again was, was really exciting. So I, Epic is an incredible place and I'm like, wake up every day pinching myself that I had the opportunity to come here and partner with with Chad and the team and build this out. And it's been a fun year so far already. That, that's, that's great to hear. I love the 
the detail that you provided uh, there. Jess, I got one more question, and then I'm going to pitch it back to you. So you get ready, all right? But this is this is a question. Sometimes it, I don't know, maybe it's going to be a hard one to answer. But first of all, did, did you have any mentors or examples or individuals in your life that you think are responsible for the motivation to live the way you live? Like, how does a person create a value set like you described for a firm? Like, where does that come from? I mean, I asked the question, I kind of think how it, I don't know how I'd almost answered the question, but, but is there, were there any inspirations that have caused you, and it could be people, it could be experiences where like, um, I saw the consequences of the going the other way, uh, or I saw the benefits of going the right way. Uh, wh where do you think it came from? And are there any stories that kind of connect to it? I actually had a lot of incredible mentors along the way. Um, and so many of them were inspiring and so many of them were people that I would look up to. And, and a lot of them, I still wake up on days or in hard situations. I think, what would Kelly do or what would Mary do or, you know, what would they have done in my, my situation? Um, but I think what helped for ultimately form who I am and how I lead is by taking and really observing and then like filing away the best examples of of their mentorship along the way and their leadership. So I I I personally believe that I hopefully am the like you know amalgamation of like all of those experiences that I've observed and watched over the years cuz I plucked like that amazing best practice or that amazing approach or that incredible moment um and i've filed them all away to kind of refer back to so so it's almost like i draw from all of those um and have made them my own um and have helped really form kind of who i am and how i lead um but you know i also i also think that um you know and i've always said like it's so important to build your mentors, your sponsors, which are different than mentors, because I always like to say mentors talk to you and give you advice and help guide you and sponsors talk about you when you're not in the room and help you with your career and help kind of progress you along to like build and round out your personal board of directors. Like I have my personal board of directors, but I also have like my personal board of like experiences and, and um, observations that I've seen along the way to kind of form who I am and how I lead today. And by the way, some of them are not great ones either, right? Like I've definitely taken away of like, I don't want to be a leader like that. Um, and I certainly don't want to manage that way um, to also help shape and form um, who, who and how I, I lead today. But I'm still really close friends with so many of them, and I admire them. I mean, to me, one of the things that is key to an empathetic person is a person that's kind of maybe struggled themselves or know what pain is or can can relate with it and see it in others. I mean, is there was there any character defining moment in your life that you think really kind of amplified your ability to empathize with your clients and other people? Um, well, let's see. A character defining moment for me on like leadership um, was, um, and I vividly remember this still to this day, was was when I um, didn't make managing director the first time around. And for those of us that have been at very large investment banking firms, you know what a rigorous process it is. You know what a public process it is. And you know how slightly humiliating yeah. it is when you don't make it the first time around. Having said that, I had two paths I could take. One, I could get really pissed off and like be bitter at everybody and blame everyone except myself. 
or I could say, okay, there's a reason why. Um, and what are my kind of lessons learned and takeaways from that? And, you know, a couple of those were, and I'm saying this all publicly, so I'm like, you know, digging deep here and my humility, but, um, <laughs> Sorry, you know, Christine, I didn't, well, I didn't need to do that to you. it's okay. It's all good. You know, <laughs> one was first and foremost that nobody had the kind of, you know, guts to tell me previously what my blind spots were and what my, you know, the feedback was. Um, so that was a little bit yeah. disappointing. Um, and then, you know, the, the feedback was that I was too tough. I was too hard. I had a high bar and I didn't suffer fools in the right way. And, you know, like that was incredible to hear, but it was also hard. Um, but it also made me reflect. And I, and I think that that, or I know, uh, that that did two things for me as a leader. One, I am like, I am super focused. And I talked about this with the team today about transparent feedback. Um, it is so important to give the feedback, even the hard feedback and the hard feedback is the hardest feedback to give. Um, but it's important because if you don't get feedback and you work with someone for a very long time and you don't get feedback, it means that they don't care about you because they're just telling you how great you are and they're not helping you get better. Um, so, so that is kind of how I lead here. Um, and the second piece is also just, um, to be softer, to be a little more empathetic, to hold that high bar and to have that really high standard, but to be aware of it, right? Like I'm constantly saying to Chad, okay, I know I have a really high bar, but keep me in check here. Is, is this, you know, should we be, should we be thinking about this or, um, and you know, I'm super aware of it, but I also, it made me a more empathetic, um, vulnerable leader, if you will. Well, I kind of want to continue on the same subject. You know, I was thinking about another interview of yours that I uh, had watched with Worth Magazine, and um, you talked a lot about interacting with founders who are either having a liquidity event or recently had a liquidity event. And I think that, um, you know, kind of like Dan talked about his friend, like all of a sudden all sorts of people coming out of the woodwork and want your money at a time like that. And uh, I think my question has to do with this idea of, um, this idea of building trust at that moment when yeah. a high net worth client might be extra suspicious and a little, you know, they might have shields up, right? And so mm -hmm. um, yeah. this idea of showing up with character and integrity and, and empathy to kind of invite them to maybe lower the shields a little bit and see the real you. Well, let's start with this. What's one of the thing, what's one of the mistakes that you see other folks in the industry make at a time like that with, with you know, a high net worth founder? Um, they come in with a presentation um, and they talk at you and they tell you all the things that they're going to do to help you. And they give you an investment plan. Like the last thing that I want to be thinking about if I'm about to sell my company and have liquidity is like where to put my money or how to invest it. Because first of all, I'm figuring out like, how, how do I make sure that the whole world doesn't see a thousand people are calling me? Um, how do I, how do I protect my children? How do I think about that? Um, like I'm supposed to think about my risk tolerance immediately i mean it's crazy right so, so but but that's like natural right that's how that's how the industry gets paid um that's how the industry makes money the industry makes money when your money is put to work right whereas again like if hopefully i'm doing this for the next like 20 plus years um it, that'll come right and that'll come over time and you'll you'll hopefully stay invested with us for a very long time. So there's no need to rush that. But I always say like, let's get the house in order. Let's help you prioritize um, and get done the things that are keeping you awake at night. 
And if you don't know what the things that are that are keeping you awake at night, I can help you because I have the pattern recognition of having seen it before um, to help you think through the things that might eventually keep you awake at night, or if they're not, kind of maybe should, and we should just work on those things, right? But that's getting the house in order first. So first and foremost, it's just like, where are you going to wire the money and how are you going to keep it safe and know that it's safe? Um, and you know, you don't want to pick up pennies in front of a steamroller. You just want to know that they're, that it's there so that you can like turn around and say, okay, what do, um, my spouse and I, or if I, or you're my partner and I, or me personally, if you, if you're single, like, what do I want to accomplish with this? How do I think about the buckets of wealth? Um, how do I think about creating a legacy? Um, how do I think about the tax implication? And oh, by the way, like, what does my employment agreement look like? Because I might actually, you know, have to stay on at this new company. And so how do I even think about that? Right. So those are all the like, I think, short term, near term considerations. And it's just getting the the client to like open up and understand um, and talk through kind of what is key, what's on their mind, what's important. Um, and then either helping them find those answers or connecting them with the right people that can so that we can kind of check off the like what's going to keep you awake at night before we start putting your money to work, determining your asset allocation and charging fees. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a big believer in um, kind of, you know, being a net giver, um, always leading with advice like life is long, relationships are long, careers are long and the world is really small. Um, so, you know, if you kind of always just do what's right. And that also goes back to like, if I were in that scenario and, you know, I was in that liquidity event moment, like it's so overwhelming. And I think some of that is because I've seen it so many times with so many clients. Now I can, I, you know, you really have that empathy. Um, but, but again, it's that like the empathy piece and the put yourself in their shoes. And the last thing they want to hear or see is like you talking at them and here's a presentation on how I'd invest your wealth. I, I love that. You know, it has things in common with so many of the highest achievers that I've been able to interview on the show. Uh, another Chinese superstar in my mind, Eric Wan, who started Zoom. Love uh, Eric. I yeah. had him on the show before Zoom was worth $17 billion, right? Um, and he was just so obsessed with what's in it for the customer. I mean, like beyond yeah. obsessed, right? With yeah. what's in it for the customer and what's in it for him and long-term thinking, just constant long-term thinking, long-term thinking, yep. and what's in it for the investor and and look what that's done for him. So I'm not surprised it's been so successful for you. Um, okay, I've got, a, I've got a cheat short question and then and then I'll, I'll give my real question and then hand it back to Dan. Yeah. So my cheat one is, uh, on one of your other interviews, you talked about, and I'm gonna quote this wrong, but uh, small business exempt shares where like the first $10 million isn't taxable at exit. Am I close on that? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to uh, keep going? So my question is, is yeah. that only for a C Corp or can that be for an LLC? Or do you know or is this not the right <laughs> is that too deep? Not for questions? an LLC. Not for an LLC. You have to be a C Corp. It, it is but if you convert your LLC to a C Corp and you hold it for five years and your partnership basis at the time of conversion to C Corp is more than a million dollars, you get 10x the basis because it's the greater of a million dollars or 10x your basis. So if you happen to convert oh, really? it to two or $3 million okay. and you hold it for five years and you qualify for qualified small business At stock tax exemption, 30. you get $20, $30 million exempt. 
Then I'll just take you a little bit further. The really cool part is if you have other family members you'd like to give those assets to, you can set up irrevocable trusts with a different taxpayer ID, and you can give shares into that too, and they get their own $10 million exemption. And then you can move those out of the state of lovely California to a state like Nevada, where there is no state income tax. And then it's truly $10 million free of um, free of income and state tax. So there you go. There's my... A okay, bit of that's very helpful. Advice. Okay, so here's my real question. Um, yes. Dan is always talking about like the elements of character, things like integrity and forgiveness and, and these kind of things. Um, as you think about people in your life who have modeled, let, let's pick one of these, let's pick forgiveness. When you think about somebody to you who has modeled forgiveness that you look up to, has anybody come to mind? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Oh my goodness. Um, well... I mean, I would I would lead off with my parents. Um, you know, I so admire them, and you know, I think both their ability to forgive one another for mistakes made along the way, and their they just celebrated their fifty year wedding anniversary. Um, but oh, wow. but also, you know, things that have happened along the way, and um, my dad in business, and and other aspects. Um, I think that that has been. You know, I think it's the combination of like forgiveness and the ability to accept and own mistakes. Um, and, you know, the, the the combination of the two, I think, is is incredible for so many reasons. Right. I think growing up, it made us want to take more risks because it was OK. Um, they forgave us. They allowed us the space to take uh, risk and make mistakes. And they taught us the number one fundamental thing was how you recover from those mistakes and how you own those mistakes and what you learn from it. Um, but I also then, you know, saw that later in life with like leaders, right? Um, you know, the, there's, um, you know, this woman, Kelly Coffey, um, and these two women, actually, who are incredible, and Mary Erdos. And Mary runs the asset management business for Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan, who's also an amazing leader. Um, and then Kelly Coffey used to run the private bank, but now is the CEO of City National. And, like, you know, you knew when you were running parts of these businesses that, like, you were going to make a mistake. Something was going to get messed up. But they and they were tough on you. You know, they weren't like, it's OK, you know, but they forgave you. They moved on quickly and they they gave you the space to make the mistake. Um, and, you know, I think that that is what does allow for, um, you know, growth. And and quite frankly, I've been here for a year. I've made a bunch of mistakes. And Chad, you know, when you're brand new, you're like, oh, God. And, you know, he's she's just been like, it's great. Move on. Like, it is what it is. Almost to the point where I'm like, really? That's It's that okay? And so, you know, I think that does define, it does... It does define character. I mean, it, it really, it shows that he has this incredible level of trust in me um, and trust in what I'm doing and my decision-making ability, but also like trust that, you know, I know what I'm doing and it's okay. We're going to make, we're going to, we're going to stumble along the way, but he trusts that I can like navigate our way back. Um, and I think that that builds, you know, even more trust. I think it builds even more confidence. I think it builds an incredible culture. Um, so, you know, and I think it says a lot about like both the firms that I work for now and worked for previously. And the four things that we look for, Christine, and we define them as characters, integrity, responsibility, forgiveness, and compassion. And most of the time people get like integrity and responsibility, but lots of times people are surprised by the forgiveness and compassion side because it seems so soft, you know? 
But what you're speaking to of your experience on the forgiveness side, you know, it's, it's, it's like the bedrock piece of building trust with the team. Right. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not an obvious thing that, uh, that one would, I don't think I've ever seen it as a bullet point in being a great leader. You need to, to have a high level of forgiveness. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty cool to hear you speak into that a little bit. Um, I guess one of the questions I've been wanting to ask before we, we close up, um, is that, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm launching a new idea in the finance world that, uh, is based on behavior and leadership. And, uh, I think a lot of us kind of intuitively know leadership matters, but, you know, to, to try to define it and then, uh, measure it and then give you a chance to invest in it, you know, it, it's kind of a new idea. Um, but you were one of the, one of the early people that, um, got really excited about it and, and, and became uh, an early supporter of what we're doing. And I just want to understand why, you know, why mm. did you latch onto it? What, what was it that kind of grabbed you? Uh, I mean, for me, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful to have had the reason to get to know you because of it, but, uh, it always is interest me as to why people latch on to this idea and why they think it it's unique or important. Oh my gosh. I mean, first of all, it's like when I heard about it, I was like, why hasn't anyone done this? Because it's a no brainer. It's like the person who invented the shoelace. You're like, of course, we need that. Um, and, you know, it's like, aha, why hasn't anyone done this before? Um, and, you know, during my, my 22 plus years, I've worked with so many CEOs and incredible leaders. And you see the impact that they yeah. make on their companies. And they make it on their companies uh, from a growth standpoint and from a culture standpoint, but you see the way they lead. Um, and that includes Jamie Dimon having worked for him personally and having has so much admiration for the culture that he's built. And that's why I believe so much that it's so successful, right? Like all of the people that work for these great leaders that I have had the great fortune of advising and partnering with over the years, they want to work hard. They want to come to work every day. They are energized. They take risks. They, you know, they understand kind of the core fundamental values. They, like, they own it. Um, and that's driven by the leadership at the top. And, you know, again, this is like my whole mantra of like, if you always do the right thing, it comes and it always builds over time. Now, sometimes when you're running a public company, it's a little bit tougher because you've got like the, the shareholders and, you know, you have to show kind of results immediately. But if you are an investor and you have the long time horizon, it makes complete sense that in the end and whatever you define as the end, whether it's one year, three years, five years, like there's always going to be the karma element that comes back because you have built an incredible firm on a foundation of the four core values. And by the way, those four core values, just like our values, like bleed into everything, right? You can take that one word and yeah. build everything down from there. And um, and so when you told me about this, I was like, this is, this. I, I can give you like all of the clients that I've worked with and like the ones that have really built and led super successful organizations tie back to, to that. Um, and quite frankly, I think some of that wow. is also like, you know, you kind of joke like your dog and the owner and they all look similar. Like some of that is like the clients that I work with is because we all also have values and visions aligned. Um, and, um, right. you know, have similar kind of goals for how we lead, who we are as people. Um, and so 
I think two reasons. One, because it's a no-brainer, like a shoelace, but um, and you know we've all seen it, and we've all seen the results with really strong, incredible leaders. But also you, um, right? You get it. You've always gotten it. You've been someone that I've enjoyed getting to know. You're super smart. Um, you've you. It's like you know when you see a visionary and you meet a visionary, like you are a visionary. You see it. You understand it. You get where it's going. You get how it drives results and returns. Um, and I'm super confident in what you're building and I'm so excited. So that was why, that was why I, I jumped in on the boat. Jumped out. <laughs> yeah, Sabina, thank you so much. I didn't expect that, uh, that compliment. That was very kind. Um, well, I, I'm just thrilled to know you. And, uh, one of the things that I think as a community of folks that, you know, in all seriousness, I think character matters. It's, it's one of the most hyper-connective ways to, to, to bond with people if you kind of value those same things, you know, you, you can, you could exponentially share, uh, and trust one another so much faster. Uh, and so I think, uh, that's one of the reasons you and I are here on, on this podcast and that's one of the reasons Jess jumped on board too and, and wanted to promote what we're trying to do. Uh, it's well, the common I think, threat, um, you know, and I think uh, it's been it's really so fun. fun. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, like we all surround ourselves with smart people um, because, you know, you're incredibly smart, Jess is incredibly smart, I'm smart, like we're all in this industry for a reason, but you stay here and you're successful because of what your core values, your integrity, how you lead and, and how you build it. So um, I, uh, I, I've had a ton of fun getting to know you and Jess, I'm excited to get to know you even more. Um, and to see, I have, I have so many more people you guys can bring on and talk to as well. Can, can, I know we're supposed to be done. Can I ask one bonus question yeah, here? Yeah, keep going. So fun. Okay. As long as there's uh, a prize of some sort, Chess. No, prize well, <laughs> I just yeah. feel like, you know, somebody like Jamie, Jamie Dion in the news a lot, but most of us are seeing him from the outside in. Do you have one little story or, or you know, do you have one example uh, or, or some comment about what it's like to actually work with him and why you have the respect you have for him when you have seen behind the curtain? Oh, goodness. I have, I have a bunch. I mean, um, let's see. So I, I had the great fortune of being able to work really closely with him. Um, and he, you know, he's someone who, well, I have two examples that I'm going to share with you. Um, one and first is... Um, he had his throat cancer that he survived. And um, I was talking to him one day and a very dear friend of mine was diagnosed with similar throat cancer. And it was before an event, he was in town and we were talking and I mentioned to him how a friend of mine was diagnosed with the same type of cancer. Uh, and he said, yeah, I'd be willing to talk to him. Why, do you want to, why don't you connect us? Um, and my friend's name was John. So I connected them. Uh, Jamie took time out of his day on July 4th weekend to have a conversation with my friend John. And for the following two or three years, four years, I mean, I don't, they both survived it. And every time I saw Jamie, he asked how John was doing. He remembered John's name. He remembered John. I mean, do you know how many people this man meets on a daily, regular basis? Um, and, you know, that, yeah, how, that. How many, how many like, tens of thousands of clients? Right. I mean, hundreds of thousands. So like that is the human element of of who he is um, and his character. I think um, 
something really cool was uh so i started doing this women's healthcare event um during the healthcare conference which is like famous for jp morgan and it was every january and you know about 10 or 11 years into it i finally managed to get jamie there and he came um and he showed up and we had about 150 plus senior level c-level executive women and venture partners in healthcare um, and it was incredible to see that number grow over the years, right? And um, and Jamie came in, and I'll never forget it. He came in, and he, you know, kind of like looked around. He did his thing, and this was actually shortly after um, he, he, I think, had a year or so after his throat cancer operation and whatnot. And he kind of like couldn't project as much, but he was like, "I got a question: Who are all these women? Why are they so all ex- also excited?" And why do they love you and JP Morgan so much, right? And I'm like, they're just senior level executives and they're so psyched to be brought together, right? Like it's, it's, and, and they're grateful and thankful that JP Morgan, um, and I representing JP Morgan, like pulled them all together, right? And, and it was kind of like an easy answer, but an aha moment. Um, and I admire him so much for kind of seeing that opportunity, for realizing that it was something that had been missing. And he turned around, went back to New York after, and created what is now called Women on the Move, um, both internally and externally, taking advantage of bringing women together and creating kind of these networking opportunities, putting them all in a room, celebrating them, and um, and connecting them. Um, and he tells that story, and he would continue to tell that story when we were at dinners for years after. But I also, as a leader, admire the fact that he saw that, saw that opportunity appreciated um, kind of the collective power of women and made something happen business-wise out of it at at the firm. Well, your data point, um, along with a few others in our research, uh, was the reason that uh, J.P. Forbes part of our our, uh, return on character fund. Uh, So we are, uh, he, he represents the finance sector for us. That's so great. I'm still a shareholder all my years there. So, so. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. That's awesome, Jess. Anything else on your set? No, this should is so fun. I, I mean, I only have about four more hours of questions, but uh, yeah, right. We should end. <laughs> well, it, um, I hope to. I hope we can all get together in person one day. But again, thank you so much for your time and sharing uh, your thoughts, your honesty, and your thinking and creative t- creativity around your 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 career. Uh, and how you live life is very inspirational. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored, as I said. So I feel like I'm around two celebrities, making me a little nervous. But thank you. <laughs> You're, thank oh, you, you for go, having you me. Become a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun. Where's the best people places for people to connect with you personally online? Is it LinkedIn? Is it somewhere else? And then if people want to learn more about the firm, where should they be going? Yeah. So, um, so reach out to me. My email is super easy. And I made that on purpose because my email was not easy when I was at JP Morgan. So here it is, Christine at epiccg.com or LinkedIn. Um, I would love to connect with you. I would love to share more about you, uh, about, about me and Epic. Um, but I would also say like, you know, you can go to our website. We don't really have a lot on our website. I can send you a brochure, but it, again, that's us talking at you. I think it's more fun to learn what you're looking for and, you know, answer questions along the way and have a conversation. So reach out. I, I love connecting with people, as Dan knows. It's my favorite thing to do. And Epic is E-P-I-Q, correct? 
Yes, yes, thank you. EPIQ. That's great. Thank you. Okay, Dan, thanks for the introduction. Christine, thanks for doing this. Thanks everybody thanks else for listening. Thanks, thanks so much. Bye now.